0: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed
1: we welcome you along to the programme. A lot of the papers are picking up including the front of the Irish Independent I think it is has a a photograph taken from the AIB All-Ireland Senior Club Football Championship semi-final which was played in really really poor visibility in uh, Newry yesterday you know and it's been described as a game that nobody saw. I mean it's just crazy to see some of the photographs that were taken from uh, that match and of course the Cork-Limerick match that was due to be played in Mallow yesterday that was called off because of the weather conditions and certainly I was in Mallow when I was up early yesterday morning there was a very dense fog that I don't think lifted at all it certainly hadn't lifted at any stage during the morning and people are wondering should that game have been called off earlier yesterday because it certainly caused consternation with traffic jams in and around uh, Mallow so the decision has been taken earlier but at least they made the decision to call it off because they say when you look at the match that was played in Nuri, you really would wonder well certainly from a spectator's point of view they couldn't have seen anything but I don't even know how the players managed to play in those uh, conditions. Now that status yellow fog warning that's gone now. It was lifted at 10 o'clock this morning and any fog still lingering is expected to clear but Met Aaron say conditions are going to remain cold but mostly dry for the rest of this week. There is the chance of some wintry showers but they're kind of saying they're going to be more into the east the very very cold conditions like the frost and ice uh, they're going to be worse in the west of uh, the country and the reason that we're getting this cold snap for this week is high pressure is staying in control of our weather and it's going to remain in place as we head into next weekend which means uh, even at this stage the next weekend looks like it's going to stay cold but the good news is it is going to be mostly dry Cork County to cancel say they'll be treating the roads in anticipation of the widespread icy patches and black ice. And there certainly was reports of black ice this morning. Uh, road users obviously are asked to exercise extreme caution when you are out and about travelling today or any time across this week. Be cautious of vulnerable road users. Be very cautious of pedestrians and cyclists and all of the children, of course, are back to school from today. So please be aware of that. at uh, Drop off and uh, pick up time. Transport Infrastructure Ireland and the Road Safety Authority. They're also issuing warnings asking drivers to please take care. When it comes to fog, they're talking about it affecting visibility. So ensure that your headlights are on, maintain a safe following distance and of course, as always, drive at a reduced speed speed for a safer journey. Now, temperatures right across the week. uh, Temperatures will drop to between minus 4 and 1 degrees at night with widespread frost and and ice for every night this week, and then during the days, the days are going to remain cold but they will remain mostly dry and there are some people who prefer this kind of weather. It's better than we know when we get the rain. We get milder uh, weather uh, but we have so much rain. I think people were getting fed up of the rain so it's gone from one extreme to the other. So a cold snap for the rest of this week. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. 103. Wrap up well when you are out and about. Now Today is the 8th of January and I heard a lovely piece with Ken earlier this morning uh, remembering our own uh, Pawdy Palmer. At times it's hard to believe that our own Pawdy, who was just so full of life, it's hard to believe that he is no longer with us and we are thinking of him uh, today on his first uh, anniversary and in particular uh, thinking of his uh, family because, well, we all miss uh, Pawdy so it's for the family. They are the ones uh, really, that you have to think of, of a time like this, and actually we were t- I was talking before we came on air with uh, John Paul, you know saying we have to do something to remember party, so what John Paul has done he 's got a clip from party 's final commentary, now this final commentary was just before uh, Christmas of it would have been 2022. It was the Cork County hurling final as uh, Aaron's own uh, took on kilshanick And this actually was Pawdy and we were not to know at the time and neither was he that this was to be his very final sign-off piece.
2: And there's a big dropping one in here, but unfortunately, it's a wide ball and the score remains And the linesman. So Shane Murphy, see the hero whatever all they will have. The 65 is dropped in. What can they do with it? All of Ayrton Zone are in around the house. It would be impossible. The referee has blown the full-time whistle. And what an incredible game of falling has come to an end. The final score and the county champions are Ayrton Zone. Ayrton Zone, one goal and 30 points. Gall and three goals and twenty points. It was a thriller and it was a pleasure.
1: Oh, thriller and uh, a pleasure, and that was his final ever commentary. The late uh, Paddy Palmer may he continue to uh, rest in peace and also while we're talking of uh, anniversaries today is also the 45th anniversary of the Widdy Island uh, disaster and actually Owen English is writing about this on the front page of the Examiner because the Office of the Attorney General has been assessing a request for new inquests into the deaths of all of the 50 victims of the Whitty, Isle, Whitty Island disaster uh, in County Cork which occurred as I say 45 years ago today. The Attorney General's office has asked for clarification and documentation and for further details about new information that has emerged and this new information has emerged since the first inquest and the first inquest would have been held in July of 1979 on the same year of the disaster but there has been a lot more information since then and the request for fresh inquest of course is headed up by Michael Kingston who we've spoken with many times here in this program, his own father Tim was among the victims of the 70, 1979 uh, tragedy. And Michael, of course, is a lawyer who specializes in international maritime law. He made uh, the request in his capacity as vice president of the Irish French Association of Re- Relatives and Friends of the Beetlejuice, the group which represents the families of those who uh, uh, died. And his families marked, Today, the 45th anniversary of the tragedy, Michael Kingston is now preparing for his first face-to-face meeting with representatives of the Attorney General's Office and he's hoping to get that meeting within days to discuss the matter. A tribunal of inquiry into the Whiddy Island disaster, it found that the 11-year-old Beetlejuice was in poor condition With cracks in its hull and its tanks where evidence of corrosion and leaking was uh, found and the families 45 years on are just looking to know what happened and they need to get closure. And I think they particularly need to get closure because you have to remember that many of the family members, particularly the wives of those uh, who died, many of those are getting on in years and are passing away, and some have already passed uh, away. So it's important for the family members, as I say, many of them, very, you know, older uh, people, older ladies in particular, for them just to find out what happened on that day that they lost their uh, loved ones. So we'll keep a very close eye on that. But the Attorney General's uh, office now looking for further uh, clarification, and we'll see what comes of that request uh, for new inquests. 0818. 103-103 but we remember all of those lives lost the 50 lives lost on this day back in 1979 may they rest in peace I mentioned Pauly Palmer on his first anniversary today Jim said such a loss uh, Pauly sad and tragic passing Uh, I would have looked have looked forward to his commentary on Castlehaven's match yesterday and his funny comments like the one about the player getting a slap of the hurley across the backside and he'd end up having to put suitor cream on it that night such a loss may he rest in peace uh, says Jim yeah and it's comments like that when you hear uh, comments like that and I know it was part of the little clip that Ken played on the breakfast show this morning. You can't but smile when you think of Paudy, when you hear his commentary like that. That's what I said as I was saying to Ken earlier. He's, will we ever see his likes again? You know, I think not. Thank you for your WhatsApp to him to 0862 103 103. And thank you to people if you are out and about and you come across a particular stretch of road that uh, is still bad and that it needs caution for by other motorists or footpaths that might be particularly slippery. Please let us know that we can pass that advice on to others. Call in to say the road between Mill Street and McCroom is extremely icy in places. Drivers, please take care. Remember, we are getting reports of black ice. So it's very hard to see the black ice until you're actually on top of it. And someone else said the road from McCroom to Bantry via Inchigili is quite icy in parts. Please drive with care. And someone else has been on to say that the bingo at Abbey Story Hall in Skibbereen is off tonight and unfortunately that is due to a bereavement. And just a quick one in from Ellen in Kano uh, She say she went out for a lovely meal over the last uh, few days herself and her daughter. When they, went up to, when they went up to pay, the man in the restaurant said uh, 40 euro please. So Ellen said could I have a receipt for that please? So when she got the receipt it was actually only 37 euro was the bill. Now she said, I'm not, you know, it's only three euro at the end of the day. She said, but it's, it's Ellen's three euro. And she said, it's better off in her pocket than in someone else's pocket. So she said because of that, she thinks it's a caution retail. You should always look for a receipt, be it in a restaurant, a shop, a butcher's, wherever you're going, always look for a receipt. But that does seem bizarre that he was deciding himself that he was taking a tip of a three euro without even giving Ellen the a choice of uh, doing it. I've never heard of that happening before, but obviously by getting a receipt, you can clearly see what you are paying for. A report in the Echo newspaper, Cork families are losing their lives savings and uh, even their family homes as a result of drug related debt and the subsequent intimidation by drug dealers. Uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, Thomas Gould uh, joins me with his uh, concerns. Good morning to you, Thomas.
2: Good morning, Patricia. And listen, Happy New Year to you, everyone 103 and all your listeners. And many
1: happy returns. Now, the Guy, they say that there were 500 incidents of drug-related intimidation last year. Now, you know, a lot of people would think that is a very high figure. But you actually feel that number is possibly higher because there's under-reporting no. of this crime.
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely higher. And we know that through contacts that... People, families have contacted me and others about, and that figure is up on the previous year. Unfortunately, the Garda figures are up, which is something that we we have expected. But we also feel it's only the tip of the iceberg. Like we've spoken to families. Um, I know some people who would be kind of, they might have their own businesses or good jobs and they were able to pay the, the drug debt. But other families have gone to um, family members, uh, the credit union banks to get loans to pay off these debts. Uh, some people, as I said, have used their, their life savings money that they've saved for when they're retired or when they're going to retire, and now that's gone. And it's it's a terrible tragedy for families to be put into this position. And like the, the, the depth of intimidation that goes on can be quite frightening
1: yeah t- i mean these drug lords life is very cheap to them unfortunately thomas i mean they will follow through on their t- on their threats and that's where that's what puts the families in so much fear
2: and the thing about it we've seen cases where families where they come to people's doors where they've damaged their cars or their work vans or uh, they've damaged their houses we've um like the, the level of intimidation is quite uh, f- vicious. And like, I, I've spoken to Gardy, both officially and just uh, unofficially, Peter Gardy, who was going about there everyday working, what they're telling me is that, um, you know, it, it's it's on the increase and it's got severe. And one of the cases that I raised with Gardy, uh, Gardy told me that. The gangs involved. Some of the gangs involved, not all of them, but some of them, uh, have links to criminality in Dublin. And when we look at what happens in Dublin and the 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 violence that's up here, we don't want that in Cork. Like Cork was never that type of a place. And what we certainly and the point I made to the Garda was, I think it was very important that we don't leave that level of violence come to Cork because uh, it's not something that we would be used to, and it's not something that we want.
1: Do some of these dealers actually encourage debt by offering drugs on tick and then the bill just runs up? Is that, is that what's
2: happening? Yes. It, it, it's a trap. It's a scam where they identify people. You see, the problem no, Patricia, is a lot of people have gone into taking drugs recreationally, especially cocaine. Um, and what happens then, that kind of what some people will consider just going out for a Saturday night or a night out, then leads into people going into the throes of addiction, and then the drug dealers identify these people as a way of, uh, as a, making money on the back of their addiction and the back of their dependence. And then what they do is they run up debts and they charge huge interest rates. And then what you have is individuals who are caught. Yeah. And tragically, I, I've known. I've known people who've been in here, like these are hardworking people. People who might have went to college, might have had an apprenticeship, might have a job, you know, like people, a lot of times people have an image in their mind of a person who would be in the throes of addiction. But the way it's happening now is these drug dealers target people where they know they can get money, either that the person would have money or the family would have money. And that's where the intimidation then comes in.
1: Yeah, and you know you can understand when you know one of these thugs arrives at the door of you know you know decent, nice people, and it's your son or daughter is been threatened, or another family member has been threatened. You know, families will go to any length to particularly protect their children.
2: And the thing about it, then, Patricia, is like I've known cases where brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunts have come together. Uh, as a family. You see, we, we would have a very strong family, I suppose, bond in Cork. And I suppose as the as people, the Irish people have, and when when one person's in trouble, the tendency is everyone to come together. And the drug dealers, they, they know that. And mm. they, they prey on the, the vulnerability of people. And tragically, Patricia, and I spoke to the Irish, the Liz happened the Irish Examiner, Also about this, that there were, there have been in the last eighteen months a number of uh, young men who died by suicide as a result of, I suppose, the shame and the worry and the uh, because of drug intimidation, and these were young men with bright futures ahead. them. one of them was a father. you know, one of them was a rising sports star, another guy had a, a really good career, and. Just the level of intimidation, and I spoke to those some of those families, and they had cleared the debt, ah. and they got back into debt again, ah. and it was just it's a tragedy, it's yeah, a tragedy.
1: yeah, and and for that for that person, uh, just they just can't take it anymore, and and then they they see the only way out is to end their own life,
2: and it, like when you look at the families, I, I was thinking of them over the Christmas because I was contacted by people there uh, late December and over the holiday period who were were being, whose sons, mostly sons, but not always sons, had run up drug debts And when you think of, like, they they didn't have a happy Christmas, and they they were probably home New Year's Eve, distraught, heartbroken, you know? And, like, these are, and a lot of people are very silent because of the, I suppose, the whole stigma around drugs. And one of the things I've said to people is, in the, in the most, with the Gardaí I've dealt with and with the the, the procedures that the Gardaí have place, they have a scheme you now specifically designed to support individuals and families who are uh, who are being intimidated because of death. And what I would say to families is, the Gardaí aren't out to arrest your son or your daughter if they're using They're out to stop the intimidation. So I would encourage people that if your family is facing that problem, to to contact the guardian, they they're the professionals, and they will treat everything private and confidential. Because at the end of the day, it's really hard for an individual or a family trying to face this alone. And I know that the credit union, I spoke to a person who got a loan from the credit union, and an official said to them that, this was a regular occurrence. And you think, Patricia... That people people are being honest with
1: the credit union and explaining why they're borrowing the money.
2: And you think about it, Patricia, this is happening everywhere. This isn't just north side, south side, uh, urban, rural. This could happen in every walk of life from the most, um, from the quietest area of the county to the heart of the city, because the whole... And what happens then, it goes from cocaine to heroin. And those people then who are on the throes of addiction, uh, their, their families are doing everything they can so they're doing
1: everything they can for them. Yeah. Somebody says, could, could you ask uh, Thomas, uh, his views on legalising cannabis? And also uh, this person says the heroin docs proposed for use in the city. I'm assuming what they're talking about there is injecting uh, centres uh, and what are Th- 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 Thomas's thoughts? Firstly, on do you see the need for legalising cannabis?
2: Well, what we're doing now on the back of the Citizens' Assembly and the recommendations that are made from that, we've actually set up a working group with Sinn Fein to look at, I suppose, what came out of the Citizens' Assembly. And what we're going to do then is engage with the government on the policies they're going to bring forward because it's very important that we work together to try to come up with a strategy. Like, we've always believed this is uh, it, it should be a health led approach, you know, and that, like, I, I dealt with people who are in the choice of addiction and other people who are in recovery, and we're really lacking in this country with support for people. So everything needs to be looked at now. We know the Citizens Assembly have brought back a report, and we'll hopefully then, we're developing a strategy to work along. To going on the back of that,
1: okay. And, and are, are we relation... getting are, are we getting closer to an injection centre in, in Cork because they do save lives.
2: Yeah, but it seems there's it a huge amount of work. Uh, unfortunately, um, what I see and you're just looking at what happened in Dublin, and it has taken years in Dublin and still hasn't been delivered. And we know for a fact that Ireland has one of the highest uh, over deaths by overdose. And we also see that where these are. Are opened up in other countries, they can be quite successful in reducing debts. But the problem here is I I can't see one opening in Cork in the foreseeable future, not until Dublin is up and running, and then it will be rolled out nationally. But there's a bit of work for the government to do yet and the department. But it is planned, and I attend a lot of the the JPC meetings in Cork, and I you know the Cork City Council are being very proactive, and I think David Lane from the Cork and Kerry Drug and Alcohol Task Force and the HSE are working with the council uh, and different departments on this. And that's the other thing. like the, the government's really failed to put resources, funding and staff into addiction services and recovery supports. Like we know in Ireland, we've had a huge problem with alcohol, and we've never put the investment in. Like we, we depend on like Alcoholics Anonymous and other groups to do all the work. We the country needs to support people. And also in relation to drugs, you need addiction counsellors, you need addiction services, you need beds. uh we, we need to have places where people can go for treatment. At the moment you're looking at people that are waiting lists for weeks and months. Like if you're on the tours of addiction and you get to a situation where you want to go into recovery, places should be available for those people. Like and we see like I know people who've who are in recovery for years you now for either alcoholism or drugs and how positive the impact they have made in society and by telling the stories and helping others. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think we even and,
1: and, you know, while we've, we always seem to have uh, an issue with alcohol in this country, drugs is certainly taking over. I mean, it was only announced um, just there before Christmas, Ireland. We've got the highest usage of cocaine in the EU. There's a lot of people uh, using drugs on the weekends. OK, listen, I've got to leave it there. Uh, Thomas, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, Thomas School. Now this morning sees the publication of myhome.ie property price report for the final quarter of 2023 to discuss the property prices here in Cork. I'm joined by Joanne Geary, who is managing director of myhome.ie. Uh, good morning to Joanne. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Firstly, would you agree that a wage boom is fueling the country's property market? Revenue are estimating that there's been a 50% increase since 2022 in individuals and couples earning more than €100,000 a year.
3: Yes, it's a pretty significant figure, isn't it? That 50% increase. Um, with people earning over 100,000. I mean, I, I think it's certainly underpinning a lot of the demand in um, the Irish property market. Um, those That increase in higher um, wage earners, but also the point and the fact that we are in practical full employment now is certainly helping to offset the, the impact of those high interest rates um, and those 10 interest rate increases that we've received in the last 10 months. I can also see this being supported and this concept of the labour market being supported by data from the Banking and Payments Federation. So last October, the BPFI told us that the average mortgage approval was 297,000. That's 6% of an increase in the year. That means that buyers are taking on greater mortgage debt because they're earning more. And they're doing that despite the interest rate um, hikes. So I think what we're seeing in the market is a very strong economy, a very buoyant labour market that's underpinning and keeping the demand for housing very resilient.
1: Okay, so let's take a look um, at uh, Cork. Firstly, Cork County, um, house prices, I believe, are holding steady.
3: Yep, prices remained unchanged in the county in the last quarter, but overall, The median asking price for a property in the county is now 285,000. That's been an increase of 10,000 euro compared to this time last year. So the majority of the price increases in Cork, actually, if I dig into the data a bit deeper, happened in the third quarter of the year. So what you're seeing is a marketplace that maybe got off to, you know, a slightly kind of stagnant start, you know, very little change in prices for the first six months. But then a bit of momentum happening again and pricing, because what we've seen in Cork is, you know, um, job announcements, very strong economy, you know, new employers coming to the area um, and also people feeling more confident about their employment and their, uh, their labour possibilities in the county. So that's all helped to um, continue to keep prices up. And of course, the big message here, Patricia, is demand is one thing, but we're also in a property marketplace uh, with very constrained supply. And that has been another reason that prices have, have remained up in, um, in Cork and also nationally.
1: Yeah. Are you seeing any increase in the number of houses up for sale?
3: No. Um, and in fact, it's uh, not good news. By the end of December, um, there were just 11,600 properties available on my home nationally um, available for sale. Before Covid, that would have been at about 20,000. So, yeah. I nearly mean, half. It, it, Goodness, yeah, me. Uh, Goodness me. It's pretty dramatic. And yeah, then when someone, dramatic.
1: when someone puts a house up for sale, are they selling very quickly?
3: Yeah, they are. Um, again, because the demand is there, it's very re- uh, resilient. And the aver- our average time to sell is now um, just 10 weeks or 12 weeks sorry, nationally. Um, in Cork, it's um, just three months in the city, three and a half months in the county. So that shows that, you know, transactions are moving and they're happening uh, quite quickly. Again, that is fueled by the demand that's there. So, I mean, we have a really dramatic undersupply issue and it's predominantly uh, related to the second-hand trader market.
1: So people who in the past would have maybe traded up and those houses became available are not doing it because the houses are not available?
3: No, uh, I mean, in terms of our listings, we have now just 0.6% of stock available of the 2.1 million homes in Ireland that you uh, that we estimate could trade. 0.6% is incredibly low. In an orbital functioning market, that should be at somewhere between 2 and 3%. So, you know, and I think what's fueling this, and if you think about it yourself, you know, if you're in a property and you might have a mortgage rate um, that you might have locked in a few years ago, it might be 2%, maybe under 2%. You know, as a trader, you might be saying to yourself, you know, well, why should I be trading into a market and taking on, you know, a higher mortgage interest rate of four, four and a half percent? Um, That's a point in time piece, because as people start to come off those lower um, mortgage rates, they will look to start trading again. So that is not going to be resolved in the short term. It would be interesting to see what happens as the year goes on should mortgage interest rates start to um, reduce a bit, uh, which the ECB are somewhat signalling. Uh, there's no certainty on that yet, um, but it will be interesting to see what impact that might have on the market as we look into 2024.
1: Yeah, and for those you know, listening to us this morning, Joanne, who, who may be contemplating buying a house and hoping to do it in uh, 2024, 20, uh, what are you predicting from a price or indeed a supply point of view?
3: well we we don't see huge good news on on the horizon in terms of supply and as a result of that you know we think the most likely outcome is another low single digit rise in house prices as we look into 2024 um, there will be, you know, competing pressures on price, uh, on, on house prices, you know, from the elevated interest rates that we've been seeing on the one hand. But we still have that continued supply shortage on the other, which will continue to keep prices somewhat propped up. And uh, the rise might be sharper on in terms of um, asking prices next year. So it could be more than, you know, or high single digits um, if the supply issues continue to be constrained. And then it depends on what happens in relation to um, interest rates. And we're getting some uh, mixed signals there. Um, And, you know, we may well see some reductions as the year goes on on interest rates. um, And that will have an impact as well. But our best estimate at the moment, for anyone listening, is that we would say a low single digit um, price increase in 2024. Very similar to actually what would have happened uh, last year where we ended up at 4%. Um, asking price inflation rate as the year went on.
1: Yeah, it'll be something similar next year. year. And then
3: we've got the help to buy and the first home schemes. Mm -hmm. Are all of them helping? I think they certainly are helping first time buyers in particular um, with their affordability and to get on the market. They're very welcome. Um, And certainly what we would like to see is a number of measures coming from government, not just in the uh, for sale market, but also in the rental market. You know, and again, I would say to people potentially thinking of getting on the ladder and if you're renting at the moment, you know, if you have the ability to get on the property ladder. The question I would have for you is, you know, are you happy paying somebody else's mortgage as Mm -hmm. a landlord or trying to get on the ladder and start paying your own mortgage?
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: And the the grants for the vacant or the derelict uh, properties, they're Mm -hmm. still an
1: option for, for people.
3: They are. Um, you can get up to €100,000 now to if your property uh, qualifies for the, the vacant or the derelict uh, homes grant, which is significant. But we're also in, in a, a marketplace where we're seeing increased construction costs. So, you know, I think that's certainly on a case by case basis, um, something that, that people will have to look at. That are, is particular to that specific property. There was a very interesting report, actually, that the Society of Chartered Surveyors um, brought out at the end of last year, which showed us that those grants brought um, more properties into the affordability um, net for people. Um, and otherwise, if the grants hadn't been there, those properties just simply Would wouldn't be financially lying viable. Yeah, 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 they wouldn't be viable. Okay. So it's, it's certainly helpful. Yeah.
1: OK. All right. Listen, uh, Joanne, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning.
3: Thanks Patricia. Good
1: morning to you. That is Joanne Geary who is Managing Director of MyHome.ie the latest Price Property uh, Report. Holding steady is uh, what the word is for houses in Cork City and County but it's just the supply model. Goodness me they've almost halved the number of houses that are available for sale. Can I just stay on houses uh, for a moment because if you haven't paid your local property uh, tax well you're not on your own because thousands of homeowners have just days left to pay their local property tax for this year. The deadline, of course, is coming at a time when many householders will be recovering after the big spend at at Christmas. Now, for those who pay in cash through a service provider, for example, like the post office, and if you go in with cash or with your credit or debit card, you have until Wednesday of this week to pay this year's local property tax. There's about 600000 People who pay uh, through, who discharge their tax bill for their local property tax this way. So it's a lot of people, and it's thought that most of them have yet to pay. And revenue obviously now are going to expect a rush of payments in the coming days. Who is expected to pay local property tax? Well, anyone who owned a home on the 1st of November last year is liable for the tax. Those who've just purchased a property you do need to submit evaluation. Um, uh, and you'll cover then for your local property tax uh, return and for those who pay the full amount in the property tax in one go through an annual direct debit uh, your payment will be taken from your account on the 21st of March but those who physically go into the post office to pay either to cash or credit or debit card uh, the deadline is this Wednesday for this year's local property tax and in the last hour I was remembering our own Paulie Palmer on his first anniversary there's another gentleman that I really really do want to uh, remember and uh, recognize and I was really saddened uh, to hear last night of the passing of uh, Jack Roach. What a wonderful man uh, Jack was. I had interviewed him countless times here on the programme, be it in his role when he was a county councillor uh, for uh, North Cork. Of course, he was also a very active member of Do Hollow. He was a board member there. And then, and then for many young people, they will remember uh, Jack. What a wonderful mentor he was for musicians. He He'd such a deep love of the Irish language and Irish heritage and Irish uh, music and he just literally enriched the lives of countless people over the years and he made a huge contribution to uh, rural Ireland but especially to his beloved hollow uh, region. So very saddened to hear of his passing at the weekend. Sleep well, uh, Jack, may you rest in peace and I know his death notice we're carrying here on our death notices that will be a huge, huge uh, funeral. 0818 103 103. I want to help out a few people who've contacted us this morning. Firstly, we've had somebody on saying, could you please find out how do we get a refund for yesterday's cancelled Cork-Limerick match in uh, Mallow? And I was just thinking most people would have bought their tickets online, wouldn't they? Anyway, we are, have contacted Munster GAA because I'm assuming it'll be up to Munster GAA to issue the refund. And Is it refunds they'll give or will they just give tickets for the rescheduled match? I don't know, but we'll try and get an answer from Munster GAA before the close of the programme. And I'd actually mentioned about the heavy fog and how that's the reason that that match was called off in Mallow. But there was other matches held around the country that went on even with under a thick blanket of fog. And in particular, what's making all of the papers was the All-Ireland a senior club football championship in Norey, which had really, really poor visibility. It's been described as a game that nobody uh, saw. And somebody said I actually watched both club semi-finals yesterday. One on one pitch, half of it was frozen, and the other, the one I mentioned in Newry was covered in fog. Surely, says this listener, the GAA has a duty of care players. This listener felt it wasn't evident yesterday by some of the conditions the players were asked to uh, play in and it certainly wasn't any fun uh, for those who paid their good hard money to go along and see the match when you couldn't actually see it. Oh eight one eight one hundred three one oh three. 103 103 Charlie in Cork has been on he's having a bit of a clear out and this certainly is the time of the year to have a good spring A Great time to do it in January as you head into the new year. Anyway, he has found himself with about 50 cardboard boxes he says they're all in really good condition and rather than just put them into the recycling bin and send them off for recycling, he's wondering, is there any charity looking for boxes? Because Charlie said, very happy to donate them to any charity. As they say, he's currently in the North Cork area. Anybody looking for cardboard boxes? Charlie has about 50 of them. And then staying on recycling, Kathleen is in Bantry and uh, I'm assuming did what a lot of us did at the weekend, took out the Christmas decorations. It took me the whole weekend, I have to say, to take mine down and carefully pack them all away for next year and The house looks so bare and empty. I hate the decorations coming down. But of course, when you take down the Christmas tree and all the decorations, what to do with the beloved Christmas cards? Uh, Kathleen is in Bantry wondering, anybody locally collecting Christmas cards? And she's also wondering about calendars. Does anybody recycle calendars? I've never heard of calendars being uh, recycled. And we got some lovely calendars in. Uh, as we do every December, when we ask uh, charities and voluntary groups uh, to send them in it's beautiful photographs on some of the calendars that could actually be framed, you know, put put into frames and and popped up on a wall. But I don't know if anybody actually recycles uh, calendars. But anybody in the west, particularly in the West Cork uh, area, Kathleen in Bantry, has her Christmas cards rather than put them into the recycling bin. She's wondering are they of use to anyone. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. If you've got advice on that, uh, please. And then someone was on. Um, by uh, text to say just want to give a shout out uh, to people, particularly those that have got any kind of an open fire, to please check their chimneys and to test their carbon monoxide alarms. This is following the death of a couple who died at the weekend. This is a very, very sad uh, case. An investigation is underway. It was two people, a couple, they were discovered in their home in Granard in County Longford. Of course, the minute you hear the word Granard, those of us of a certain Age will all remember a young girl by the name of Anne Lovett. It's the same village, Granada County, Offaly. And at this stage, the, the suspected cause of death is understood to be carbon monoxide uh, poisoning. I was reading in the papers this morning that uh, they have two adult uh, children, but they were in the home on their own and they were discovered. It was in a rural area uh, close to uh, Granite Village. Uh, They were discovered on uh, Saturday night. So, so sad uh, for the uh, family. But, you know, carbon monoxide, these accidents, unfortunately, continue uh, to happen. So well done to that listener who got me to highlight it and remind people, please check or if you don't have a carbon monoxide alarm, make that your New Year's resolution to go out and get one. And it is as important as possible. Probably more important even than a, than a smoking arm, because with carbon monoxide you don't even feel it coming on. Oh wait, We discussed uh, drugs in the last hour, but in particular, we were looking at drugs from the point of view of debt. When when people get into drug debt, and these criminals, these drug lords, can be absolutely vicious, and the intimidation that is used to go after the person who has the drug debt. And if that person can't pay it off, then they'll go after the uh, family members. it's shocking to think that that is happening here in uh, Cork. But that then led to the whole discussion on drugs, which John says, it's putting a massive, this is drug and drug abuse, is putting a massive pressure on our health services, people being admitted due to drug overuse. Anyone who goes out recreationally using drugs is also responsible for this. There is a ripple, ripple effect on society. John said he lost two of his friends to cancer. They never asked for the cancer. Uh, While these people go out and taking drugs, knowing the consequences, and then what happens is they end up taking up space in our hospitals. And Liam is kind of on the same vein, saying those who take drugs recreationally must know they are fueling gangland crime and creating more danger on our streets. Those who think taking cocaine is okay need to realise the fact they're having up along uh, the chain. And actually over the weekend I was, as I was taking down all the Christmas decorations, I was thinking I need some kind of a, a long podcast because I knew it was going to take me hours. So I came across a, a podcast. It's called The Witness in His Own Words and it's about a young lad by the name of Joseph O'Callaghan a young Dublin lad who just talk spoke speaks in it about how he got involved in that whole drug scene he ends up on the Witness Protection Program I haven't there's about 13 episodes in the series it's an absolutely gripping podcast if you're looking for a good podcast as I say the witness in his own uh, words but I'm listening to this young guy telling his own story about how he got into it he never went into Um, wanting to sell drugs or get involved in drugs but how he got sucked into that world he was living in um, the Valley firm, I think area of Dublin. I know they had moved from the from the city centre and he got a job on a milk round and thought it was great, a bit part time work from but he wasn't aware that the guy who was operating the milk float was a drug dealer and he just got sucked into that world and it is just so scary to hear this young lad talk about how he got sucked into it and then the intimidation that was used to keep him in there and to make sure that he wouldn't speak and that he wouldn't and you know, and the threats against his mother and his other family members. If if he dares to try and leave. It is truly truly shocking. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Stay on health then because uh, someone says, Patricia it's been reported there is a new strain of Covid that's causing chaos in the NHS in the UK and it'll be here soon. Surely it's time this government plans to create an infectious disease hospital and we should have one in every county of the country. These viruses are here to stay and planning should have put, been put in place from the onset to avoid disruption to the health service it just seems to be the most sensible option. Why are we always playing uh, catch up? I don't know if any other country in the world has gone down that route. As If you think back, what was done when TB was rampant in this country, there was TB hospitals. I don't know if if any countries has considered doing that uh, for COVID. But that new strain that you're talking about, I'm assuming that's the one that's already here. This is the JN1 uh, COVID uh, variant, and it's already fueling outbreaks in hospitals and in nursing homes We're told it's going to be dominant for months. And of course, flu is also, they reckon the middle of this month, flu will have peaked. But this winter illness wave, it involves several uh, viruses and it's led to thousands of people having been very very sick over Christmas, but the new there's the new arrival of this. It's the fastest spreading COVID variant yet. It's known as JN one, highly transmissible, and is now overtaking all of the other strains. And I know Column Henry last the end of last week was saying it'll be with us right through to the spring. And as it's now starting to become the dominant variant, and nursing homes and long term care managers were told they can risk assess where face masks can be worn and to limit visits to control infection spread, although no bans um, should be imposed. And they reckon on the flu strain, about 800 people a week are expected to be hospitalised uh, with uh, flu. Now, some hospitals have already put visitor restrictions in uh, place, but uh, this really is this current strain that has come out. It seems to be one of the most fastest spreading of all of the strains uh, that we have seen. And last week, actually, uh, we had a listener who was talking about about this strain of uh, COVID and was asking why masks weren't worn in hospital uh, settings. Well, Colm Henry, who I mentioned there from the HSC, he said masks may be required by staff and visitors at some uh, hospitals under new guidance from the HSC but individual health facilities have been advised they need to conduct their own risk assessment and then consider whether the use of face coverings uh, should be widened and particularly with this new particular strain uh, that is uh, out and they're you know they're looking at things like could mask wearing be used by all staff and visitors in certain hospitals particularly if there already has been uh, an out uh, break Um, uh, but certainly it is been been looked at now there's no talk of people going back to wearing uh, everybody wearing masks but certainly they are saying to people if you are vulnerable and you think you're going to be in a situation where there might be any of the other respiratory infections because it isn't just Covid is out and about to consider wearing a mask but that Particular strain that you spoke about is on its way here. It is. It has already arrived. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862
4: 103
1: 103. C103 Jobs. Tria Oil Products, they've got a vacancy for a truck driver. It's for a rigid and arctic deliveries uh, to domestic and commercial sites in the Clonakilty and Bandon areas. Uh, email careers at tria.ie or you can phone OWN on 087 77 The Maria Immaculata Community College in Dunmanway, they've got a full time vacancy for a general operative for painting, grass cutting, uh, classroom and building lockups, etc. 086 04 Nazareth House in Mallow, they are recruiting multi multi-task assistance to cover laundry and dining room shifts CVs please to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com and Deer Park Motors in Charleville have a vacancy for a car salesperson CVs please to info at dearparkmotors.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court
5: today
4: on C103.
0: With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G
1: According to the Irish Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, animal cruelty and welfare Concerns have reached unprecedented levels, with a 75% increase in files submitted for potential prosecution. Try to find out why. I'm joined by Caroline Faherty, who is Animal Welfare Inspector for the ISPCA here in Cork. Good morning to you, Caroline. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm, I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. I mean, every single animal charity in this country has seen an increase in the numbers of animals either surrendered or needed to be taken into care. I'm assuming you're seeing the very same at the ISPCA?
6: Oh, you know, we are definitely. Um, last year we saw an almost 50% increase on the amount of dogs that we either seized or were surrendered into our care. Um the same with cats, cats were up nearly 44.25% as well. As well, So yeah, I think last year we took in 909 dogs between January and November. So we haven't got the final figures for December in yet. And in that period, the year beforehand, we've taken in 609. So it's been a huge wow. drain on our resources. Um, We've had to use a lot of uh, private boarding, which wouldn't have been budgeted for, which has been a big drain on the resources as well. It's just, yeah, crazy amount of dogs coming into our care.
1: Yeah, and I was actually when only going through the papers this morning before I came on air. And there's a picture of these two gorgeous little uh, six-week-old puppies. It's a dog's trust have have issued the photograph. But it seems these two little puppies were abandoned with their five siblings in a plastic bag when they were just four weeks old. Now, despite the best efforts of the, the animal charity involved, these two little ones are the only ones to survive. It is just so hard to believe that people would abandon seven little
6: four week old puppies in a plastic bag in this day and age. Well, well, it's happening wholesale. Um, I suppose there's never been so many dogs in the country. Um, During Covid, everybody wanted a dog. Um, So the rescues didn't have enough dogs to give out to people to adopt. Loads of people bought dogs. All the puppy farms increased their numbers um because people were constantly looking looking for puppies looking for dogs looking for dogs and now a few years down the line um people have gone back to work they realize they can't look after their dogs um there's inflation has risen there's a cost of living crisis people can't afford veterinary care can't afford to look after their dogs people don't neuter their animals which is really important if if you're getting a dog or a cat and if you're a responsible pet ownership owner it's up to you to get that that animal neutered you know um it's the and first, and people don't do first, it. They don't yeah. want to spend the money. Yeah, it's the first thing you need to be thinking of. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, um, and, and and people don't do it. And unfortunately, then it's like the us and the ISPCA who are who are picking up the pieces of this, you know, of this dark crisis in the country. Um,
1: and you mentioned poppy farms, who who did a booming trade uh, during uh, COVID. Are you still finding puppy farms where dogs are shockingly abused?
6: Um, Yeah, we are. I suppose there was a very uh, public case there recently where there was a a closure notice um, for a puppy farm in Cork that was being appealed. And uh, thankfully, the closure notice remains in place there. Um, But I suppose what happens with these puppy farms, are the puppies are bred for the domestic market as pets, dogs but unfortunately the dogs in the puppy farms aren't treated like pet dogs they're treated like farm animals like calves or sheep so they don't get the social interaction they don't get the enrichment they don't get the exercise um they don't get to live like dogs we've domesticated dogs dogs for thousands of years and as a result dogs depend on us they're a domestic animal but in these puppy farms they're not treated as such they're treated more like cattle or sheep or or pigs or something you know, so unfortunately this will lead to problems with a lot of the puppies, behaviour problems and and stuff like that in in the future
1: And then somebody takes on one of these dogs thinking, oh I've an adorable little puppy, they end up with these behaviour issues and then suddenly, oh we don't want this dog anymore and then we're back to where we started with them trying to surrender the dog
6: Yes exactly, exactly and the amount of people contacting rescues for surrenders is has gone through the roof in the last couple of years. Absolutely gone through the roof. And then the amount of people who are just not caring for dogs. I and mean, All the dogs we take in are welfare cases. So there's, you know, obviously issues with the welfare of the dog. And we do our best to work with owners because obviously we have, you know, limited resources and limited space. So last year we end up um, spending over 600,000 euros on, on private kenneling because of the amount of dogs that we took in, which wasn't budgeted for, which would have been you know, better spent extending our own cans and stuff, but mm. it was, it was non-stop. So we, you know, we had no choice. If a dog needs to come out of a situation, we have to take it out. And we do try to work with owners and advise owners. And, you know, there's a lot of people that we would call to and um, we would do repeat calls and, you know, explain to them how to look after a dog, well, how to provide properly for the dog and everything. But sometimes it just falls on deaf ears. Um, so yeah, we have loads of dogs at the moment, loads of absolutely beautiful dogs in our rescue, we have centres in Cork, Waterford, Wicklow, Longford, um, who are looking for homes.
1: And all I've, types of yeah. big
6: dogs, small dogs, old dogs, young dogs. You know, every type of dog. There's, there's a dog there for everyone. And if, I've, um, I've you often know, if said, you "Just it, adopt, don't shop."
1: Yeah, I've often said it on the programme, Caroline, for for people who do uh, adopt uh, a rescued uh, dog. The bond—it's almost like the dog knows it's been given a second chance. And the bond that's created is is incredible.
6: Well, a lot of them when they I suppose feel like they're lottery winners, (laughs) when especially those that have come out of bad uh, situations. And a lot of people are nervous about getting rescue dogs, but you have to remember, like we have, we have very trained staff who are used to dealing with dogs the whole time and are good at assessing dogs. And a lot, most, um, dogs are very easy trainable. Do you know what I mean? And Mm. I suppose. Biggest of the fact that they're, they're domestic pets and they've worked alongside us for so long That and dogs are very forgiving you'd often see dogs that are with people who are very cruel to them but they will still you know if the if the owner calls them they'll run up to them with a waggy tail so dogs are very very forgiving so I suppose a lot of people can be nervous about adopting a rescue dog but I, I don't you know they shouldn't you be you know,
1: no talk. Like, talk to we, our, our
6: staff will always find a dog that can suit your circumstances so somebody might decide they want a certain type of dog But once we talk to them and, you know, find out about their home life and their lifestyle and whatever, we can say, well, actually, that's not, you know, the kind kind of dog you you were applying for isn't the kind of dog that's going to suit your family. But we do have this dog, which would suit your family, you know. So I think a lot of people um, go for dogs by looks, but really you should be going for a dog by their personality, you know,
1: that's where they suit
6: your family and suit your lifestyle. The designer dogs. That have have
1: come in, and that's where the puppy farms take over and in, in charging uh, huge sums of money and actually just on uh, puppy farms you know it, when if you are going to go down that route of buying your your dog, you have to know where that dog is coming from
6: absolutely and and people there's been a big craze for um cockapoos and cavapoos and those type of dogs so they're kind of small and fluffy and they look really cute. But people forget that cockapoos are from a cock spaniel and a poodle, which are two working breeds, or cavalier spaniels and poodles, which are which are working breeds. And people think they're getting a nice little placid dog, but but they're not. Do you know what I mean cockapoos and cavapoos and doodles and all these type of crossbreed dogs with their with their with their fancy names um, aren't little nice little placid dog that's that's going to look pretty on the couch? Do you know what I mean these yeah. dogs want to be out and sniffing and up to fields and whatever? Because that's like Anything with a Spaniel in it wants, wants to be out and about. Do you mean like not sitting on a couch looking pretty and people don't seem to consider that. And then they get these dogs and they're hyper and they're wondering why. And then there's the added cost of their, that their coats need to be groomed all the time. So people are spending more on their on their dogs here than they are on their own here.
1: <laughs> yeah, that needs to be factored in. I mentioned at the outset about files being uh, submitted for, for potential uh, prosecution. The ones, the cases that end up in court, uh, Caroline, they're the most serious cases, is it, of, of neglect or abuse?
6: Um, yes, yes, they would be. And I suppose um, in 2022, we submitted 17 cases. Uh, in 2023, we submitted 30 cases um, Putting case files together is, is a lot of hard work. Um, I think if you speak to any of our inspectors, they would probably tell you it's one of the, one of the hardest parts of the, parts of the job. Trying to get because you have to have everything right. Um, there's a lot of work put into it, and then with the district court system in, in this country, you can end up getting your court date, and then it's adjourned, and then you go back to court another day, and then it's adjourned again. So you could be in court three or four days before the before the case is even heard, which is very time consuming. Um, especially because we have to be there, but we're also really busy doing calls. But um yeah, it's probably usually the worst of the cases we'll we we'll, we'll we'll yeah. we'll to court. And we yeah, and we yeah. don't
1: we don't have enough dog wardens. I mean that's always that's an issue that's always been raised.
6: Yeah, well we don't have enough inspectors either, yeah. unfortunately. But you know, like we could have more inspectors, but then if we have more inspectors we're going to be taking in more animals and we currently don't have the space. Um and every rescue in the country will tell you that at the moment, that that they have no space. Um, so, <laughs> so, we you know, need, we need more people, p- people to adopt. Need to be, people need to be more responsible about their pets. People should always adopt, don't shop. I mean, like, uh, and then people will say things oh, sure, I want to get a, get a dog, but sure, I didn't have a, a fence garden. So, I went off and bought a dog, but then the dog went away. And <sighs> then it got hit by a car down the road or something. And it's like, we, you know, a secure garden is very important so you can leave your dog out to go to the toilet or have a little run around or something like that. But as I said, we treat each application individually. So as I was saying earlier on, maybe you think you want a little fluffy cockapoo, but you're actually one of these people who's probably just going to go out for a one little walk every day and maybe a longer walk at the weekend. So realistically, maybe a lurcher is a better dog for you because they're lazy. Once they have a little walk in the morning, they're quite happy to chill out for the rest of the day. Um, and, you know, I think this is important that people maybe when they do apply to rescues, maybe talk to the, talk to staff about your lifestyle and about their home life and, and listen to their advice about the type of dog that they should be adopting, you know, okay. not to just be adopting a dog because they feel like it looks a certain way. Or Johnny down the road has one of these dogs that we think is lovely, you know? So, but put the research in you know, be, be, before you bring put that the research dialogue. in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, right. and people who already have dogs and cats, please neuter them, please neuter them because there's so many unwanted puppies And kittens in the country is 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 scary, you know. Okay,
1: we leave it there, Caroline. Listen, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us.
6: Okay, thank you. Good morning, dear. Bye, bye, Bye.
1: Uh, Caroline Faherty, who is animal welfare inspector for the ISPCA in Cork, and and she's right. There's just it's just hideous to think of the unwanted puppies and uh, cats and as I say to see that picture the Dogs Trust uh, put up of the two little six-year-old puppies they've named them Faith and Hope bless their hearts but to think that the other five sadly didn't make it found dumped in a plastic bag truly shocking 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls Esther says Tricia, listening to you about the rescuing of dogs why or why do the rescue centres make it so difficult for people wishing to rehome a dog it really makes no sense yes for sure they have have to check them out, but not to the point that it can actually push some people off. That is from Esther. And for our first Citizens Information slot of 2024, I'm joined by Anna Donovan, Development Manager with South Munster Citizens Information Service that covers West Cork and they're based in Bantry. And today's topic is sick pay and supports that are available for people who find themselves out of work due to illness. Good morning to you, Anne, and a Happy New Year to you and Uh to all the gang.
7: Thanks, Patricia, and many happy returns to yourself. Great to be back.
1: Uh, good. Now, how are things in this information as we head into the new year?
7: Uh, do you know, it, it's busy. We're busy, of course. This is the time of year when a lot of the changes announced in the budget come into effect, so people have queries about that. Um, and I suppose look after Christmas, there's a lot going on for people and various queries. Uh, one bit of good news we're delighted, partic- which would be of particular interest to our, our, our list in the North Cork area, that we have the Office of the Ombudsman holding a drop-in clinic in the Mallow office starting this week on the 10th of January. So that's going to run from 10 to 12 on the second Wednesday of every month. And during those, those clinics, um, if somebody would like to meet staff from the Ombudsman's office to get information on making complaints or discussing complaints, they can drop in there um, you don't have to make an appointment and our Mallow office there is in Market Square Shopping Centre right in the heart of the town so that's, that's really a good. Bit of good news. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: good because the Office of the Ombudsman you know traditionally uh, those offices are always based in Dublin and it's nice yeah. to go in and sit uh, and chat with somebody about a particular issue just to see if the Ombudsman office uh, can be of help to you. Now this that's unfortunately it. is the time of year when a lot of people are getting colds and flus I was only talking earlier about how Covid is still out and about and, be, and therefore you know may need to take time off mm-hmm. work so We're going to look at what supports are available if you find yourself in that situation where you have to take time off. Can you clarify what rights are what rights to paid sick leave that employees have at the moment?
7: Yeah. So last year, twenty twenty three saw the introduction of statutory sick pay for workers for the first time in Ireland. So previously, people had no legal right to be paid while they were off work, which would have come as a surprise to a lot of people now since the 1st of january 24 uh you now have a right to five days sick pay a year and that's up from three days a week last year and sick pay is paid by your employer at 70 percent of your normal pay up to a maximum of 110 euros a day so um and that entitlement is is gradually being increased over the next four years so this year as i said it's going to be 5 days next year it goes up to 7 and then it's going to go up to 10 days in 2026 so this is positive a uh, positive development for people
1: okay and they can be consecutive as well as non consecutive days y-
7: yes they can yes so so like so if somebody is offered 3 days they they take the three days and then if they're offered two, they still have the two days to take later in the year. So yeah. it's five days at over the calendar year between January and December.
1: OK. And are you therefore saying that every person who is in employment is entitled to this sick pay?
7: Well, like everything is supposed to there are some conditions. So to qualify for the statutory sick pay, you must be an employee and you must have worked for your employer for at least 13 continuous weeks before you were sick. So that's about three months. And the other important thing is you must be certified by a GP as unable to work.
1: So you need to go to a GP to get a medical yeah. cert in order to get that sick pay?
7: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because So under the sick leave legislation, you have to have... Uh, certification by a GP. Now, um, and, and that you should be certified from day one of your sick leave because sometimes, as suppose someone is only off sick one day, they might not think about going to their GP. Mm. But if they want to claim the statutory sick pay, they need to be certified for, for, from day one. And so you have that right to statutory sick pay from the first day you're off sick uh, and the employer can't apply any waiting days before you get it. But it must be certified okay. from day one.
1: Can part-time yeah. workers get three days?
7: Yeah, actually they can, um, uh, the three days now has gone up to five days as well for part-time workers. So it's both full-time and part-time employees can can get five days paid sick leave. And it's also worth noting that if you have more than one job, you can get the five days paid sick leave from each employer. Once again, you have the 13-week service with that employer before you were sick and obviously that is certified.
1: How is the sick pay then calculated? Uh,
7: So it's, it's, it must be paid. So your statutory must be paid at your normal daily rate and you're entitled to 70% of your normal gross pay. up to. Now, there is a maximum ceiling up to a maximum of €110 Euros a day.
1: And what, what is normal daily pay?
7: Yeah, so your normal daily pay includes any regular bonuses or allowances which don't change from week to week. Now, it, it does exclude any overtime or commission. Now, if your pay changes from week to week, for example, because of regular bonus payments or allowances, your sick pay is the average of your pay over the 13 weeks before you're on sick leave. Now, again, I stress that it's capped at the maximum of €110 a day. But it's so like, so if your pay varies, they look at its average over the previous 13 weeks.
1: Now, some employers who are listening to us will already have a sick pay scheme in place. How does this new scheme impact on those situations?
7: Yeah, this is important because some employers already pay sick leave and they may already offer their employees more generous sick pay arrangements than the new uh, statutory uh, uh, scheme. So it's important, if, you're, if your employer has a sick pay arrangement in place, then your sick leave would be dealt with under that scheme. Now, this, the employer scheme must be more favourable when viewed as a whole than the statutory sick pay scheme if this applies. Um, now, people will normally see their employer's sick leave policy if they have a in their contract of employment or if they have a staff handbook. But uh, yeah, so if there is a, if the employer has a, a sick leave uh, policy in place and that's more generous, well then that's the one that will take precedence.
1: Okay, and then and in those situations, then would the employee be eligible for the statutory sick pay?
7: No, you you can't ah. get the statutory sick pay on top of the benefits from your employer's scheme. But again, I would stress that if your employer has their own sick pay scheme that offers more generous benefits than you should be paid under those arrangements. Really, the statutory sick pay scheme is really for employees who don't have a company sick pay, sick pay scheme or moment. don't qualify for yeah. it. Yeah, it's really to it's, it's fill, it fill that gap for people.
1: And if someone is experiencing problems getting that sick pay, what are the options?
7: Well, I suppose we would always recommend, first of all, that you contact your employer to try to resolve the issue informally first, because sometimes employer may not be fully up to date with the information. So I would say the first Place, you know, have a chat with your employer and and uh, point out what the what the, the statutory sick pay system is. But if you can't resolve the issue directly with your employer, you can make a formal complaint to the Workplace uh, Relations Commission. Now, I would recommend or advise you that you contact your local Citizens Information Centre for information on how to make a complaint to the WRC. Uh, and there are timelines. Timelines in making that you must make your complaint within six months of the dispute. Um, Now, there are situations where the timeline can be extended if there is reasonable cause for the delay. But we would suggest you just act fairly promptly if you have a complaint.
1: Now, we're constantly hearing about employers, particularly small employers who are concerned about the rising energy costs and the general cost of living and just the cost of doing business. Um, Some of them will be concerned that they now have to pay this extra uh, sick leave. Is there any circumstances where an employer can be exempt from paying sick pay?
7: Yeah, like an employer, if an employer is experiencing severe financial difficulties, they can apply to the Labour Court for an exemption to pay, uh, from paying the statutory sick pay. Um, and if the exemption is granted, it'll be for a period of between 3 to 12 months. So that option is there for employers.
1: But they must go to the, to the Labour Court.
7: But they have to go to the Labour Court, yeah. and they would really have to prove that, you know, th- that they, they were experiencing severe financial difficulties.
1: And what about your uh, your employment rights? Are they protected when you're out on sick leave?
7: Yeah, your, your employment rights are protected during sick leave. You're treated as being in employment while you are on sick leave.
1: OK, now you mentioned at the outset that this new statutory sick pay, it'll cover sick pay for, for this year. It's uh, five days. But what if somebody is sick for longer than five days?
7: Yeah, so if you're off work sick for more than five days and you have enough PRSI contributions... Um, you can apply to the Department of Social Protection for a payment called Illness Benefit. And if you don't have enough PRSI contributions, you would have to contact the Department of Social Protection's representative at your local health centre, your community welfare officer. They will assess your situation and you may have entitlement to supplementary welfare allowance, which is means tested. And again, if someone is in that situation, they can contact us as well and we can advise them on it.
1: Okay, and what about, are there specific supports, I'm thinking of people who maybe get injured or get incapacitated and this is a work-related incident?
7: Yeah, now there is an occupational injury scheme um, operated under the Department of Social Protection which provides benefits for people who are injured or incapacitated by an accident at work or while travelling directly to or from work. Now that scheme also covers people who have um, contracted a disease as a result of the type of work they do. There are a number of benefits available and there are different conditions attached to each benefit under this scheme. So, again, I would suggest you contact your local citizen's information service for more details as how to apply to you.
6: Now,
1: if God forbid somebody got diagnosed with a long term illness and they've been out sick maybe for you know, up to two years and they're still in a situation where they can't go back to work, what's available there?
7: Now, there is, again, from the Department of Social Protection, there is a payment called invalidity pension. Now, that's a weekly payment to people who can't work because of a long-term illness or disability, and they're covered by social insurance. So, generally, if you have a um, a minimum of five years PRSI paid, you may be entitled to invalidity pension. And then, if someone's on that long-term payment, at 66, then they automatically transfer onto the state pension contributory at the full rate. Uh, Again, it's invalidity pension because it's a long term payment. There there are also some secondary benefits that someone may be entitled to, like uh, free travel. And depending on their circumstances, they might also be able to avail the household benefits package on that that scheme. So that's the invalidity pension really is for people who have a long term illness and And have enough PRSI.
1: And if you don't have enough PRSI for illness benefit or that invalidity pension, what happens then?
7: Yeah. So in that situation, then, if you have a long term illness or disability, that has continued for at least one year or is expected to continue for at least one year. And if as a result of that, you are substantially restricted from taking up suitable employment, you can apply for a means-tested payment called disability allowance. Now, if you have a short-term illness, say like you broke a bone and you don't qualify for illness benefit, Your only option then would be to apply for the supplementary welfare allowance, which is a short term emergency payment. Again, that's That's also means means tested. tested. So you're getting into means tested then. If you don't have enough PRSI, you're really getting into means tested payment. Again, I'd suggest people talk to us if they think they're in that situation.
1: Okay, and when someone is out sick, and particularly I'm thinking the people who might be out for, for, for long periods, what happens to their annual leave?
7: yeah so if you become ill during your annual leave, and this might have happened some people over christmas but if you get um if you you're ill when you're on holidays and you get a medical cert from for the days you are ill, these sick days then will not be counted as annual leave instead, you can use the same number of days as annual leave at a later date and and your employer can't insist that you take annual leave days on days you are off sick, provided again you have a medical certificate for those days. So you can build up your annual leave entitlement while you're off sick as long as you have a medical cert. Now, if someone's on long-term sick and they can't take their annual leave due to illness, you can carry it over for up to 15 months after the end of the year it was earned. And then if you leave your job within those 15 months, you should get payment instead of the leave you did not take due okay. to
1: illness. And then, if if somebody is on one of these illness uh, related social welfare uh, payment and would like to go back to work, but they're not able for full time, is part time an option?
7: Excuse me. Yeah, you have some options, and and these depend on which social welfare payment you're on. So, if you've been getting illness benefit for at least six months, or invalidity pension, which is the long term payment, and then and someone wishes to you know return to work you may qualify for for a payment called partial capacity benefit if your capacity for work is reduced by your medical condition so say you work full time before and you're only able to go back part time now so again you should complete the application form for the partial capacity benefit returns to the Department of Social Protection. Now it's very important that you do that before you go back to work because you, you, you may not work until you've received written approval to do so from the department. Um, now there's no restriction on earnings or the number of hours you can can work.
1: Is that very so, different to somebody getting a disability allowance?
7: Yeah. So if you're receiving the means test of disability allowance and you start work you need to notify the Department of Social Protection and and provide proof of your your earnings. And then, um, like, if you've wage slip or you can't have employment or a letter from your employer, they can all be used as proof of your earnings. Now, the thing about disability allowance is you can work and earn up to €165 a week after paying PRSI or pension contributions and union dues without your disability allowance payment being affected. So, again, amounts over this will impact on your social welfare payment. And if you contact, again, uh, contact ourselves, citizens' information, we can go through the means test in detail with you and show how much you would expect to receive. OK.
1: Okay. Now, vast area that we've uh, covered there. Um, if people want more information, uh, what should they do?
7: Again, if someone would like more information on any of the issues, the best thing would be to either drop into us, into your local citizens' information centre or, or telephone, What we would do is we would look at your current circumstances with you and make you aware of how the various schemes apply to your personal circumstances because, you know, which payment would be the best one for you to be looking at. Um, I suppose we can look at your situation, lay out the options, and then at the end of the day, then you will decide what's best off op- which is best for yourself. But hopefully, with our help, you'll be able to make an informed decision. So I would really suggest you yeah, contact us, and you can all of our offices now are open for people to drop in. Brilliant. Uh, or you can telephone if that's more convenient. Okay, and I'm always
1: obviously. I'm always pushing online. You've got a, a fantastic website, <laughs> yes. Citizensinformation.ie. West Cork's number is zero eight one eight zero seven eight three nine zero, and the Mallow office is zero eight one eight zero seven eight thousand. Anna leave it there. Thank you for that. You're a reminder of information as always. We'll talk again next month. Thanks for that. That is Anna Donovan who is a Development Manager in West Cork, which is information. Jack Roach who I mentioned the passing of the late Jack Roach over the weekend. But a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, Jack wasn't. I heard Barry has it on our news uh, as well. Somebody says, uh, God rest Jack Roach. He had no favourites. Both himself and the late Tom Meany were the most wonderful men in any constituency. What made them so so good they both had common sense and kindness what chats they'll now have in heaven may they both rest in peace yeah uh, Tom Meany was another uh, wonderful man and you're right it was any time I would have interviewed Jack Roach particularly on any of the rural uh, issues it was always just so much common sense but it came from somebody who had lived all of his life in the Duhallow area it came from somebody who had a deep love of rural Ireland but a deep understanding how often do we hear of decisions that are made by somebody in Dublin who who just do not understand what it is like to live in a rural area within a rural community and therefore do not understand the problems of somebody living in a rural area versus somebody living in a built up city or in an urban area? And that's where I think Jack Roach used to always and played such a powerful role because when he used to sit around tables, he used to, he, used to, he was able through his common sense approach get to get through to people, the issues that affected people in rural Ireland, and you know the likes of uh, Jack Roach, are really, really miss missed. And kindness is another word. I I, I always loved any interactions I had with uh, Jack over the over the years. I would say kindness just oozed out of the man. So there's no name on that text, but uh, thank you. I, I appreciate getting it in this morning to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And then Mary in Clonakilty was on to say, Patricia, we're about to renew our health insurance and we're baffled. You had a guy on the programme uh, recently. Is he available to contact? Could you get him back on again, says Mary and uh, That was Dermot Good. You're talking about Dermot Good from TotalHealthCover.ie. Always get a huge reaction to Dermot. And this is the time of the year in January when most people, I think the bulk of people, renew their... Uh, health insurance at the start of the year so Mary you're falling into that category but if you get on to totalhealthcover.ie uh, Dermot you know while he's a mine of information and he's on a lot of radio stations and TV programmes, uh, his company does operate uh, a system whereby you can pay them and they can they can actually get, sort out your health insurance for you as well but just if you get onto their website you'll be able to get further information so totalhealthcover.ie We spoke about dogs and cruelty cases when we were talking with the IA PCA. And then I happen to mention this adorable photograph that's making a lot of the papers today from Dogs Trust of uh, two little six-week-old puppies who they've named Faith and uh, Hope who were found abandoned with the five of their siblings in a plastic bag when they were just four weeks uh, old. So just two weeks ago, the other five little pups didn't make it and Faith and Hope were the only two that did. But just who would put them in a plastic bag and just dump them? Horrific, absolutely horrific. 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 And that led to us talking with the ISPCA, who spoke about all of the dog charities and dog rescues all over the country are bursting to capacity because people have surrendered dogs, people who took dogs during Covid and then find themselves not able to look after those dogs so they have uh, surrendered them and then you just have people who are just irresponsible they don't neuter their dogs they're allowing their their bitches to have pups and then they they don't want the pups and they end up abandoning them so we've all of these abuse and neglect cases uh, as well but that led then to this whole discussion about adopt don't buy and it was one of the messages that came through from the inspector with the ISPCA uh, Caroline. Well that's led to a couple of texts in from people including a listener that says Patricia myself and my wife have been trying to get a rescue dog for years. And we keep getting refused. The reason, I think, is because we both work full time. But I do shift work, so I'm not working every day. Our garden is also fully enclosed. We ended up having to go and buy a dog elsewhere. He gets treated like any other dog. He's walked, he's fed, he's inside in the house for so many hours with us during the day and night. And he does sleep outside, but he's a very, very happy dog. Maybe they should be a bit more lenient with regards rehoming if they really want people to help out and to Adopt a Dog. Thanking you. And Michael then on a similar vein says, I hope you're well. Patricia, I am. Thank you very much. Listening to your ISPCA inspector on the dogs crisis. I wonder why people say it's so difficult to adopt from these animal shelters. I know people who've tried, they've bent over backwards to work with them. They're making it harder for them to place dogs, says Michael. I know we've over the years heard from people, very kind people who really do want to offer a good home to a dog but I know one of the issues is if the dog doesn't you don't allow the dog to sleep in the house it's one of the things that they insist on I think at all of the animal shelters and a number of people come a cropper on that one because they don't plan on having the dog uh, sleeping indoors uh, at night and that can can become uh, an issue and I do accept that when they're when rescue centres take on these dogs, particularly ones that have been had a bad start in life, they've got to make sure that the forever home that they go to is the right home. But I have to say, I have heard countless times from people who say that it would be easier to adopt a child than it would be to adopt a dog. That Some of the charities can make it really, really difficult. And when Caroline... The inspector with the ISPCA, we were talking about the designer breeds and the different dogs that have been crossed with poodles have become really, really popular dog like the Labradoodle and the, the Cockapoos. And there's a number of different cross breeds. Most of them are with poodles. And I think the reason for it is poodles are seem to be a very intelligent uh, animal. And there's the shedding issue. They don't shed their hair, which can become a big issue for a lot of people who might have allergies. Anyway, Caroline was saying, don't go with those dogs, don't go with the designer label dogs. She's saying you should adopt uh, rather than buy. Well, that prompted te- Tess to send on a most adorable photograph, I have to say, to say, Patricia, I feel I have to send you this photograph. I'm listening to the inspector with the ISPCA about the designer dogs. Well, here's a photograph of mine. We have a delightful Winnie. I wish you could see the picture. Winnie is beautiful, who is an absolute delight. Winnie is now five years old. We got her at 10 weeks of age. She is my life. We also purchased her from a very reputable breeder. We did our homework. We saw the pups with the mum and dad, we sailed for four hours to the UK and then at a seven-hour drive to pick her up. The love and the warm welcome you get when you come home from a stressful day at work is unconditional. If you give them time into training, they can be very loyal and very loving. I really feel for people who have no choice uh, but to rehome their beloved pet, pet. Happy New Year to you and all at C103 and all of you listeners and that's from Tess and indeed uh, many happy returns. Yeah, and in fairness to uh, Caroline, I mean, obviously, she's coming at it from seeing all the rescue centres full and that's why she's you know pushing people to adopt rather than uh, rather than buy but you know hearing from other people who say they've no other choice but to buy because they haven't been able to get uh, a rescued uh, animal and not every dog I mean you went about it absolutely the right way from, from a reputable uh, breeder my own son has a, a cockaboo who's absolutely the most delightful dog uh, under the sun but you know I do know of other people who've had problems with some of those breeds I had a friend of mine for example that got a Cocker Spaniel this was a number of years ago and it turned out thought they'd done their homework right but they hadn't when they went to collect the dog uh, you know the usual story, oh you'll never find our kennels, we'll meet you you know, at the back of a, a car park at the side of the road and they did and they got this little dog and it turned out to have massive massive problems and they realised then when it was too late that this dog, this little pup hadn't been handled at all and then they realised it had come out of a puppy farm and they ended up having huge problems and they, the dog had to be rehomed a number of times and ended up in the end because it was so such a snappy dog. It ended up having to be put to sleep and it was just heartbreaking for all involved but you certainly did your homework uh, right Uh, well done and Winnie is beautiful. Thank you for sending on that gorgeous picture. 0818 I mentioned Christmas cards because somebody was looking for Christmas cards and looking at what to do with Christmas cards. Bill who is listening to us in Fort Lauderdale no doubt the sun is shining in Fort Lauderdale today Bill says that he cuts off the front of the Christmas card particularly the ones he likes and then he makes name tags for them for next year's Christmas cards. I remember doing that a number of years ago. It's a great way to recycle your cards uh, as well. Good tip and good recommendation from Bill before you put your Christmas cards into the recycling bin. Take a look at them. If there's any nice ones, you know, cut them out, just punch a hole in it, get a little bit of ribbon onto it and you can use it as as a name tag uh, for next uh, year. And morning, uh, Patricia, would you know the answer to this, please, when you're talking about recycling and passing things. Uh, um, if a person is made an executor to a will made by, oh sorry this is a different issue, if a person is made executor to a will uh, made by a parent, can they the executor then change the will in any way? Absolutely not. Uh, absolutely not and actually I just when I saw that text come in on it was during news at 12 again, where's my go-to site? Citizens Information. if the If you are made an executor of a will, I mean your job is to do what was put into the will, but you cannot in any way. And nobody can change somebody's will. The only person who can change a will is the person who makes the will themselves. So if there's a will and an executor has been appointed, then the executor deals with the estate and the executor makes sure that the spouse or civil partner is aware of the right to legal share and distribute the estate in accordance with the will and the law. And I know another question that often comes up with, if you are an executor uh, to a will can you still be a beneficiary and yes you can and in many cases that's what happens. It's usually in the case of parents, it might be an eldest child who's made the executor but that child uh, can also be a beneficiary but no, I don't quite understand why you'd be asking that but no way can the executor uh, change the will in any way. Get on to this information if you'd like more information on that. 0818 103 103. Can I go back to the rehoming of dogs? Tony abandon Bandon has contacted us who works with Dog Trust, who who I've just been mentioning because of those pups that are on the paper today. Uh, good morning to you, Tony. Or good good afternoon, yeah. as it is, it's gone past oh, twelve. Okay, you work is. you work with um, Dogs Trust. Do you understand this whole rehoming and why they make it so strict?
8: Yes, very much. Um, because the Dogs Trust are very good at marrying the people to the dog, because you know they have different personalities and everything, and. Again, they might have children, the dog might not like children, that type of thing. So what happens is the Dogs Trust will have a dog and they'll bring it to us and, you know, they may have been abused or what. We've got very limited amount of background history on them. So we don't know if they're house trained or anything. So they come to us and one one story is one dog blessing jumped out of van ran into the house, hid under the stairs and was there for nearly two weeks. Um, His tail would just be permanently tucked under and if I looked at him he would cower away. So we know there's been sort of abuse there. And what we do is we keep a diary of how he is. We then slowly and gently and just to let you know, we also have our own dog Rufus, who is Brilliant. Whatever dog comes along, they sort of look at him, and he brings them out as well. If you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we we give them uh, a report about the dogs, how they are, what they like. We have friends who've got dogs, so they have play dates, so we socialise them, and everything. We have um, family members who've got children, we can see how they are with that. So. There's a comprehensive report we give back. And that's important because the dog might not be good, might prefer a quiet house. So if you've got a house full of children, the dog might not be working right there. So they they do need to... Be good at the way they place the dogs yeah,
1: because once totally they yeah once they place the dogs, the idea is this is a forever home and this dog will should never come back into a rescue center again because they've matched the perfect dog with the perfect family that's the that's the theory behind it. How long would yeah. a dog stay with you for?
8: um so we've had a dog for say six odd weeks, okay um, one we've had was for um oh nearly three months. You
1: know. It just took but longer.
8: Yes, because uh, you know um, th- that particular dog needed a lot more work. That and one
1: that you spoke about cowering, who didn't come out yeah. for two weeks. How long would? How long did it that, take? That, for that was
8: you t- the one that was with us for a three All
1: oh right, Okay, yeah. but 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 when it left, was there? Was it a different dog?
8: Oh my goodness! Oh. Um, its tail was like a helicopter blade, <laughs> um, and it was. Brilliant. He, he was jumping up um, to, to say hello. He didn't care away from me. And Rufus was actually very, very good because they, they could see how we were treating Rufus. Mm. And then, you know, it, it built up their confidence. I mean, it was a very slow process with him, for instance. From under the stairs, he would then sort of come out and stand and look at the kitchen door through the kitchen door at us working away and everything. And then he'd get a bit closer. And one day we were sitting watching the television and there's a little head poking around the corner. You know, just yeah. so slowly, slowly. Yeah.
1: And do you, do you know where that dog's forever home ended up being? Or
8: Oh, well, that particular one ended yeah. up back in the UK in Kent. OK. We, we do get told where they go. Because all right. the Dogs Trust worked closely with the, the but, but was rehomed,
1: was successfully, yeah. ah, they, they fantastic. They all
8: successfully get rehomed.
1: Okay, all right. Okay, so you understand why why the, why the rescue centres, be it Dogs Trust or any of the rescue centres, why they work so hard at making sure they match the right dog to the right family? Oh,
8: yes. Okay. Um, very much so. Okay. And I, I agree totally with that. All right, listen,
1: Tony, thanks. Uh, Always good to talk to you. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is Tony joining us in uh, Bandon. The GAA have been back on, the Munster GAA. This was on the people who went to the Cork-Limerick match yesterday. That unfortunately was uh, called off. And we've had a couple of calls and texts in from people saying, how do we get a refund on our ticket? Uh, Munster GAA say, all those who purchased tickets for yesterday's scheduled Cork v Limerick game... Here in the last hour have been refunded and should have received an email to confirm this. So check your emails, please. Anyone who purchased tickets via Centra or Supervalue should email info.munster at gaa.ie. Info. Dot at gaa.ie with their ticket details and then they'll organise refunds accordingly. And tickets for yesterday's game will not be valid for any future refixture because some people were hold, were saying if we just hold on to the ticket, can we use it when the match gets rescheduled? But no, um, GAA are saying no, you need to get a refund if you purchased your ticket. So check your emails, but send your Super Value customers info.munster at g-a-a Send them on your ticket details and they'll organise the refund for you. 0818 103 103. A reminder, if you've got a question for Annalise, our uh, nutritional therapist, get your questions in because it is Monday. Annalise will be joining us later on in this hour. You can text her WhatsApp 0862.
4: The C103 Cork Diary
0: With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie.
1: Bingo resumes in Butterfield GAA Hall It's on tonight at 8 They've got a jackpot 4,400 euro Ireland lights up community walk returns to Bandon GAA club uh, tonight at six forty-five. Everyone's welcome, but no dogs, please. High vis jackets and uh, and our vests are advised. And bingo at Abbey Stewi Hall in Skibbereen that I mentioned earlier that's cancelled tonight, and that is due to a bereavement. And the eagerly awaited Moore variety show is back this month. This is a huge fundraiser for Palliative Care Cancer Connect. Kilmean Community Development Association and Kilmean GAA. The show runs from this Thursday, the 11th of January, to Saturday, the next Saturday, and then it's on the following week on Thursday and Friday. Tickets are available from gr8events.ie Scroll to Rosmore. Variety show. Our inquiries to oh eight six zero seven six zero one four six, and the Carrigaline Alzheimer Cafe will be held this Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon between three and five. Carrigaline Family Support Centre. The guest speaker, Angela Cronin from Malone who will discuss supports for people living at home. You can register with Karen on 087-348-7511 uh, and this coming weekend will be your last chance to enjoy the Fomoy Panto Woody at the OK uh, Corral. It'll be held at the Palace Theatre in Fomoy. Tickets available at GR8 events are from the Palace Theatre. Court
4: today on C103
0: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie <laughs> email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie you
5: talk
4: to me Cork today on C103.
1: And as we've been reporting all morning, Cork-born Killian Murphy has won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for his performance in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Our showbiz correspondent Crossy has been watching events at the Golden Globe and he joins me. Good afternoon to you, Crossy. What a day for Cork, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, it was. It's fantastic. But I mean, no real surprise, was it to, to hear Killing no, win? No,
9: I, I don't think so. And like I, I think I, I think the the, the 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 nominations were. I think it was going to be an Irish person who was going to win it. Like three strong contenders, out of Barry and uh, Andrew Scott. Which I think I also think this year is Andrew Scott's year to shine. You know, like he seems to be everywhere. But Killian has more experience. The movie Oppenheimer. It that on Barbie brought people back to the cinema. And I think it needed to be celebrated.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was terrific. And it did, it did really well. I mean, it won a lot of other awards as well, didn't it, Oppenheimer?
9: yeah Oppenheimer won a few Uh, one of them was Christopher Nolan won best director for a motion picture and he had a pretty emotional speech now because he said the last time he was ever he was up on a Golden Globe stage it was for the Dark Knight if you remember that movie he directed that with Christian Bale and Heath Ledger and he won the award sorry Heath Ledger won the award but he had passed away so Christopher went up and accepted it for him so he was like the last time I was here was because of that and he says you know a lot of waters get under the bridge then and he says now I'm back up for this so it was it was kind of like an emotional time and I, I've been saying this a lot today that the Oppenheimer gang seem to be really really friendly with each other they like any interview I've seen it, it doesn't look false like I have been in some hotel rooms doing interviews with stars and you're looking at them and they don't want to be there and they're not arsed and doing anything With these guys they always seem to be having fun. They're laughing. They're having the crack with each other. Now, the movie's so heavy. uh, And so maybe that's the reason why, you know, they're they're trying to kind of, you know, their outlet has been this, but it's just so good for Killian. It's so great to see. Um, I know um, Christopher Nolan did say in one of his speeches that he's known him for nearly 20 years. And I think he actually wanted to cast him to play Batman in a role that went to Christian Bale. And he was like, "Okay, I'm going to get you in the movie anyway, which he did. He had him in two of the movies, but he he kept with him. And he was brought in a couple of more Christopher Nolan movies. And finally, he gets up and harmonies after winning the Golden Globe. Uh, That's fantastic.
1: And they won five uh, in uh, total uh, last night. Barbie didn't, even though they got a load of nominations, they didn't win as, as many as was
9: expected. This is a strange one. So, Barbie, they won one, right? And this was a brand new award that was just really only after... uh, I I, I think this year was the first year for it. It was called the Cinematic and Box Office Achievement Award. In my head, I'm thinking that... Did they win it because people that the like the the judges decided they weren't going to you know it's not going to win anything else? But as I said with Oppenheimer, like the Barbenheimer effect did save cinema this year. Mm. Like every cinema that's in Cork, people either went to see Barbie or they went to see Oppenheimer, and these are people who haven't been to the cinema in years and years. So I think I think the Golden Globes had to do something. And this award is perfect for them. Like Margot and Greta did come on and say it, it was the film of last year. Like it yeah. made so much money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I
1: saw Billie Eilish got the, the best song, the best original song. Yeah, she got Barbara, back on for uh, is, What
9: Was I Made For? Yeah. And she had said this time last year, she actually saw a rough cut of the movie. And she said she just was having a really bad time. She didn't really think the music was going to be her thing anymore. She just wasn't feeling it. Watched the movie, penned the song, and now she's a Golden Globe winner. Like, you couldn't make it up.
1: And I suppose the other big story from last night, from the TV point of view, uh, the series Succession did extremely well.
9: So good. So uh, Do you know what? I- I'm going to say if you haven't watched Succession or if you're near the end of it, please do not watch Matthew McFadden's speech when he <laughs> won Best Supporting Actor. Okay. <laughs> he said something. He said something massive in it. Uh, open Dolan here on our radio station. I bleeped it this morning and people are going, he didn't curse. And I was like, he may as well have cursed because he said something he wasn't supposed to say. Uh, look, the series is over. If you watch it in real time, you'd know what you're talking about. But yeah, it's great. It looks successful. Have you watched it yourself? No, no, I'm
1: not. I've. Uh, the, the, uh, Brendan, my husband, is a huge fan. I I never got into it. Don't know
9: why. I, it took me a while. It took me... I watched the first episode about four times in parts. And I was like, I need to watch it. And then I got into it. It's just, they are all disgusting human beings. They are horrible, horrible people. But you still want to watch it. Okay.
1: All right. And of course, the Golden (laughs) Globes last night, that's the first of the. We have a number of awards now, don't we, coming up? Um, We'll have the the, the, the SAGs, the nominations for them are out the 10th, that's this week. The BAFTAs on the 18th. And of course, all leading to the big one, the Academy Awards on the the 23rd. But does this bode well for Killian Murphy?
9: It does. It, it, it definitely for the for the Oscars. I don't know about Bafta, but definitely definitely for the Oscars. Um like that's gonna be on the tenth of March. I think all eyes will be on him. And uh, people have been asking about Barry Kyone. Do you think he's gonna get nominated? I think he'll get nominated on everything. I don't know if he'll win. And the only reason why, if you haven't watched Saltburn, sorry, if you have watched Saltburn, you'll probably know the reason why. Um People are still prudish in this day and oh, age. For God's sake, I stuff, watched
1: it. It's a brilliant movie.
9: It's a fantastic movie, but well, the critics are saying that there's some people in the Oscar, in the Academy, that would be quite prudish, and maybe the the goings on of Barry Keane may uh, <laughs> may they uh, be against them. Surely, surely movie.
1: he's a shoe in for a BAFTA because it's it's very like Bride's Head revisited.
9: I I I think he will BAFTA I think I BAFTA is a tiny bit different yeah. and hopefully look it'd be great to see him get it two years on the trot it would be great to see him get it oh, like um, Andrew him. Scott as well who we mentioned earlier on like Andrew is just doing so much there's a great clip of him at the moment uh, with Robert Downey Jr so like he's up there with all the leading actors having the chats with them and all that so it's great to see um, look, I think the Irish talent this year is just, it's just amazing, isn't Long it? Like, it's continue. Brilliant to see. Long may
1: Long may continue. Listen, as Absolutely. always, Crossy, a pleasure. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, bye bye. Good afternoon. That is our showbiz correspondent, Crossley Oak. Off to the health hub, Times Square and Ballon colleague, um, where I'm joined by Annalise Drussell. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let's get straight in with questions. Um, this came in earlier. Question for Annalise, please. I've got arthritis in my fingers and hip. Annalise mentioned a while back a product called, uh, uh Pern, Perniton. So I purchased it. While I'm getting great relief in my fingers, I'm not getting the same relief in my hip. Is there anything else she would recommend? Happy New Year to you all. Many happy returns. So it's working on the arthritis in the fingers, but not on the hip.
4: On the hip. So you see, I suppose the Pernitron is actually a cream and it heats up and you get great relief from that heat. Now it doesn't, I don't think, have a long-term benefit. Personally, I use it a lot, but I don't feel it fixes the problem long-term. And I suppose with the fingers, it's getting into the the joint much easier. The hip joint is much further buried in, so it's probably not getting in to give any type of relief. So I really think you need to actually take something internally to start working on the hip, to start bringing down the inflammation and supporting the, the cartilage formation in the joint. So I would recommend the ones that we really get good feedback on here. There's two of them. The first one is by One Nutrition, an Irish company, and it is called Joint Support. And we get great feedback on that. I had one lady who came in and even showed me how she could touch her toes within the space of a month, having taken it for a month. So sometimes that works brilliantly. And the other one that we get good feedback on is the GAL UC2 cartilage. And that works very well as well, particularly for people who've got the autoimmune conditions of rheumatoid arthritis. It seems to work better for those people. Um, so that's UC2 cartilage. It's a type 2 cartilage. And then she could take a natural anti-inflammatory on top of that if, 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 if you still weren't getting the benefit. And that would be something like um, curcumin, which is the extract of turmeric, or Boswellia. And you'll get lots of different brands of those in any health shop. But I would start probably on the joint support and see how you're doing after 6 weeks to 8 weeks. And if you're feeling the benefit, fantastic. If not, add the anti-inflammatory.
1: Kate is looking for recommendations for a supplement for hair thinning that she says is due to the menopause
4: Okay so normally I would say um, that you always go to the root of the problem so in this case I'd be saying support yourself for menopause um, and I think that's a great way to do it because it also is really good for your bones, for your skin for your, your, like, your libido and your mood, your lust for life, all of that um, so you can take natural menopause plant based HRT um so but when it comes to hair I think you should also take a hair supplement and the ones that work the best um and I'd say for hormonal thinning is the Norcrin and we see good results with this in the shop it's quite expensive it's spelled N O U R K R I N and if your hair is actually thinning on your scalp so if it's basically falling out and not growing back that's the one that you want because it can kick start those dormant hairs back into regrowth again now, if it's just the quality of the hair, so it's still growing on your scalp ground, but it just feels thin and limp, then the biotin is the best. Um, and you want about 5,000 micrograms of that, which is a fairly high dose. So we have it here, I think Stalgar do it. Oh, actually, Maconta, an Irish company, they do a lovely biotin as well. And we can. All, we also have gummies um, of the 5,000 milligrams. So make sure you get the high dose. And the biotin isn't that expensive, so if you want to cover all of your bases, do both.
1: Okay. someone says, uh, Liz uh, says, hi, Annalise, I have floaters in my eyes. Is there anything I can do from a natural point of view to get rid of them?
4: That's a difficult one now, really, Patricia. Um, I suppose floaters can be for a number of different reasons. Like, there'd be a few questions I need to ask, like, are they there all the time? Is it more when you get up? Are they kind of blacky silvery? Or is it like a kind of a speck in your eye all the time? So sometimes you get those kind of floaters It could be maybe down to a dizziness, blood pressure thing, and then sometimes there is an issue with the eye itself. So if it's the blood pressure one, maybe take something like magnesium um, for blood pressure um, and what else would be good for blood pressure? Hawthorne is very good as well. Um, but if it's more to do with something that's in the eye itself, you need to protect eye health. So I'd recommend a herb called eye Bright. Um It's You can buy it either as a tincture or I think Dr. Vogel do a tincture, but you can also get a Viridian Eye Bright with blueberry in there, and that's great for the health of the eye. And I'd also recommend the Omega-7 Fats, which come from sea buckthorn. And this is great for anything dry, so any mucous membrane that's not working. So if your mouth is dry, if your eyes are dry, if your skin is very dry... The omega-7s are amazing. And if the fats get into the tissue of your eye, you know, that can often solve a floater problem. Uh, but it does take time. So I'd say be patient. You probably need to give it four to five months before you'll notice the benefit.
1: OK, a mum of a 14-year-old teenage daughter who gets very heavy periods, but it's the cramping for the first two days that she's having huge problems uh, with. She can end up being out of school. The cramps are so bad. What would you recommend?
4: Yeah, and it it can be, it's actually quite common, Patricia. I've seen more and more of it than, you know, I can't remember much of it from my own youth people complaining, but I see a lot of it in the shop now. And I definitely know that from COVID and the COVID vaccines as well seem to affect younger women's cycles. So um, we've had a lot of experience (laughs) trying different things. So a couple of things I would mention. So the first thing is really, I suppose, for the pain and the cramping, magnesium is great. And you need quite a high dose of it. So the best one, I think, is the Viridian blend because you get 300 milligrams per capsule and um, it's, it's not a good, nice, strong one. So you'd probably want to start that at least, seven days before the period is due. Um, And that can be really good for cramping. The other thing as well is that a lot of the time, cramping is due to the heaviness and the clottiness of the blood. So taking the fish oils, like the omega-3 fish oils, all the time have two benefits. First of all, they're great natural anti-inflammatories, so they could help with the pain in a roundabout way. But secondly, they're fabulous for blood thinning, so they will definitely help with um, the heaviness, the clotty blood, and also that's probably what's causing the, the, the pain, one, linked to the pain. So omega-3 fish oils. And then the last thing that I would recommend is something called DIM. It's diindole methane. And it's a supplement that really helps your body to detoxify oestrogen. So when people have very heavy, painful, crampy, clotty periods, we say that they're more than likely oestrogen dominant. So helping the body to clear oestrogen is key and the DIM is fantastic for that. And you can get all of these in one product by a company called Nutri-Advanced and it's called Fem Balance and that's the one that we get the best feedback on across the board.
1: Okay, well done. Hi Annalise. Uh, what would you recommend to reduce facial hair? I'm assuming in a female.
4: Yeah, so... That there's nothing to reduce it once you have it, Patricia. So generally, it can be linked to a couple of things: increased testosterone. Um, it can be linked with um, weight around the middle. Like menopause is a, a, a shocking one; we all seem to sprout beards around after menopause, um, and also can be linked to polycystic ovaries. So if it's so, really, you have to kind of try and identify where is the problem. It's generally an imbalance of hormones. So as a female, we have too much androgen, which is kind of testosterone, male-type hormones. And that can be due to, due to a hormone imbalance. Um, so a palmetto can work sometimes, but it's generally not as simple as that. And once you have the hair, there's nothing you can do. You have to just have it dealt with. So I'd recommend, I think laser is the best way to do that. Um, if you're dark, I can't think it's no good if you're fair. But um, an electrolysis, and that will get rid of the hair follicle for good. Then, so it'll be gone for long term.
1: Okay, very, very funny. And I don't even know if you, how you answer this one. But Angela's been on saying Happy New Year, Happy New Year to you too, Angela. Um, and Angela's husband is overweight. What are the best tips to motivate him to slim down? He has achieved it in the past, uh, but unfortunately, the weight has all gone gone back up again. Is it? It's hard to motivate somebody. They need to want to lose it themselves, this, don't they?
4: Fisher, I'm shocked. You know, I've signed up for so many exercise apps on my phone and I haven't done one of them. So I need to go to a class, you know, for me. That's the only way. So I think in this case here, really book somebody in for a weight loss program. Like I have to say, I think sometimes Slimming World and Weight Watchers are fab because there is such a lovely um, community. We're all in it together, feel about it. And actually the diets are fairly healthy. So that can be a great motivator or book them in with a weight loss coach would be another um, option and book the first appointment so that he goes. And then that way he will probably get motivated himself then at that stage. But it can be very, it can be very, very hard, especially this time of the year. We're all a bit depressed, so we'd like to <laughs> comfort eat. Um, and the other tip I would say is that for for his wife, do not have anything in the house that you don't want him to eat. At. Yeah. So that's it. Like we spoke about this last week, Patricia, I got rid of all my junk out of the house because I just couldn't stop. So just don't buy these things. Don't have
1: them. Don't have them in the house. And and maybe motivate him, go out for a walk with him. Encourage him to take exercise, but do it with him.
4: It is, but unfortunately, I had this conversation with himself this morning. Exercise really doesn't do it. Like I did did nearly a 12K walk yesterday and I burned 350 calories. So... Um, you definitely need to cut your food,
8: unfortunately.
1: <laughs> less less in the mouth. Okay, listen, have uh, have a lovely week. And Thanks, uh, we'll appreciate. chat to you next week. That is Annalise Russell of the Health Hub Times Square and Balancolic. You can check out her website, healthhubstore.com, where everything we've recommended today, she'll put up online this afternoon as heard on the radio. That's where I leave you for uh, today. Thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning, uh, Tuesday morning, where it's going to be another chilly one. So do be careful when you're out and about on the roads. And to that, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good
0: afternoon, Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie